Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We have a terrific Farcast lined up for you this evening. Remember on the Farcast here, we're going to cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world, and it's all of its importance, relevance, what it's doing to Wall Street and investors. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your notes. Uh, tonight on the Farcast, we're going to talk markets as we do at the beginning of every week. I'm going to tell you about a fascinating meeting I attended in Dallas yesterday. And then uh, Dan Mahaffey, our senior political analyst, uh, is with us for Section 2. What a lot to talk about. Looks like Joe Biden. Uncle Joe is ahead in the polls and not by a little. Saw an article today that said that perhaps the president is going to have a very tough time getting to those 270 electoral college votes. Uh, they're in jeopardy and in perhaps even uh, Pennsylvania, a couple of other key states. If everything goes the way some of these analysts think, we're going to see what Dan Mahaffey thinks. Then my friend Jim Pethokoukas. And Jim and I were on, have been on television for years together on the Larry Kudlow show. Uh, we've done radio. We've done all of that stuff with, uh, with CNBC. He is a terrific, terrific analyst uh, and has been uh, following Washington and economics uh, for a long ter- time. Uh, uh, he's with AEI. He's a DeWitt Wallace fellow, uh, American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Jim is just one of the best we get to talk to in Washington. So uh, remember that on the forecast, we believe that money is hard to make, that old-fashioned discipline, research, uh, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And finally, remember that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor so if you're really feeling happy or you're really feeling scared, don't make any big investment decisions just to make yourself feel better. Stick to the numbers. You know, I had a client, I was talking with a client over the weekend, uh, actually Sunday, and we were talking about a stock that he didn't like, and he didn't like this stock. Guess why? Harry, you want to guess why he didn't like the stock? Uh, because the, the price has gone down. It has gone down, Harry! So he, so he didn't want to buy it? He didn't like the fact that the stock price had gone down. And he said, so maybe his, his thought was, well, maybe we should just dump this dog. And I said, I don't think so. I think the fundamentals are fine. And in fact, earnings growth for this particular company are in the high teens. Now, if you think about that, ladies and gentlemen, as an investor, if I can buy a share of a company at, let's, let's say I'm going to just pay a market multiple. Let's say I buy 15 times earnings, and then it's going to grow earnings better than 15% a year. At 15% a year, money is going to double in less than five years. Money will double. Those earnings will double in five years, less than five years. So I've got a stock right now where I believe that the earnings will double in less than five years. I don't need price-to-earning multiples to do anything other than stay stable, and my stock price ought to go significantly higher. So what you do then is you say, well, if the stock's going through a difficult story time right now, if they're having a little bit of a whoops, maybe with the media, and this company isn't Facebook, but that's the best example, I think, Harry, of the companies that I follow that just can't handle the media, not even a little bit. <laughs> I mean, here's the lesson. Facebook, watch what – if you're running a company today or if you're thinking about the day when your name is going to be in the press, when your name's going to be in the Washington Post or New York Times, and, and, and perhaps not in a good way, as has happened to Facebook a few times um, – 
Look at everything that Facebook has done in handling those media moments and do the opposite. Um, and you'll probably be in you'll pretty good shape. You'll probably be okay. God, they just handled it horribly. <laughs> so, but when they've had that, when they've had those moments, most have proven to be more press-related moments than substantial. Uh, so that the stock price, the fundamentals, really hasn't been driven too much for too long by those headline stories. Uh, do they have an underlying problem? Well, yes and no. Uh, the fundamental business, and now I am going back on my Facebook tangent here, but the fundamental business is still seems to be a pretty strong business, and so we need to see uh, if that will indeed continue. As I talked to this one client on the phone who doesn't like the stock because it is down, uh, I suggested to him, I said, he said, well, you don't want to sell it. I said, no, I don't want to sell it. He said, well, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, I'm going to hold it, but if it goes down a little bit more, I may buy more. If it really goes down, I'll buy more. He said, that, that's just too dogmatic. And, and, and I suggested gently to him, because he's a client and he pays me, <laughs> uh, I suggested to him that, in fact, investing is dogmatic. That, that, that's, what it, that that's exactly, exes, investing done well is very, very dogmatic. We talked about another sector. I will tell you, and this is not a recommendation to do anything now, ladies and gentlemen, I assure you, and you can listen to Harry's disclaimer at the end of the show. But uh, we also talked uh, about uh, a sector that hadn't been doing anything. It wasn't that it hadn't been doing well. It just, I mean, it hasn't been keeping up with the market exactly, but it hasn't been doing anything. It's out of favor. Uh, we talked about one stock in that sector, and, and um, we talked about two or three stocks in the sector, and, and, and he pointed out that they haven't done anything in a couple of years. And I said, yeah, I know, and that's, and that's fine, and I do like this company, and I do like that company. And he said, well, I like company A, so maybe we'll buy some more of that. But do you think, I mean, are you just thinking this could be dead money for another few months? I said, I, do, dead money, does that mean go sideways? Yes, just do nothing. I said, well, then yes, another few months, another couple of years, I'm not sure. You think this might not do anything for a couple of years? Uh, yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll start going up in three months. And that's the problem. I, there's the rub. Uh, to to uh, sleep perchance to dream uh, is the rub for all of my literary fans out there. <laughs> if you just knew you were just going to sleep, it'd be a much easier decision, wouldn't it, folks? Well, so, uh, yeah, this thing could start and, and, could, and could rally any time now. What we know is when we look at all of the valuations, they appear solid, they appear, they appear very attractive, and when value gets realized in the market is always something of a mystery, even to people who've been doing it as long as I. So, uh, we're going to continue to own the stocks uh, that, that um, some of them haven't done well. One of the things, Harry, you know, the, that he doesn't ever seem to discuss, and I haven't even talked about Texas yet, <laughs> he never seems to discuss the stocks that have done well. That's, that's uh, Some clients, you know, and some investors, uh, the folks I meet on the golf course uh, at times are always very smart. And, and they always tell me about their stock that they bought for $4 a share that's now $1,230 a share. There's the group who tell you about every winner they ever, had, they ever had and how smart they are about investing and how they knew that Google was going to be the greatest thing before we knew what was a Google. Uh, we didn't know what the word meant when they mm -hmm. first came out. These people knew, and boy, were they smart to invest. Tell you every smart stock. They never, ever confess to losing a nickel in the stock market. Then they the other types who won't give any credit to anything that's ever gone up and all they want to do is bitch about everything that's down. Um, chew and gnaw and 
let it roll about the tongue until they realize they're devouring themselves a lot of the time. But that's but just probably end up uh, doing a little better in the market that way because they 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 chew on those those things that didn't uh, that didn't go well and and they expect things to go well. So they those that don't stick in their craw a little bit. You know, there's something to that. Yeah, uh, caution and understanding where you've made your mistakes is worthwhile. Letting uh, this stuff eat away at you is not very healthy. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the caution. You just can't let it eat away at you. You can't let it make you unhappy. The only reason to have money, as I've told clients for three decades now, is to enhance the quality of your life. If the money isn't making your life a little easier, a little happier, a little bit better, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Do whatever, you know, you need to do to make yourself happier. Get one of those little houses that they keep showing me how to build on HGTV and <laughs> pull it behind your ancient Honda small pickup truck and go wherever you want and be happy. Uh, please, dear God, be happy and become a great fan of hemp and uh, learn how to play guitar. Uh, those, if that's happy, do it. But... Uh, or and and the, with, if the money's causing you problems, give it to me. Far with two R's is the proper <laughs> spelling of my name. Uh, I will relieve you of the money that's causing you the misery. And 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 I found a way to make have it make me happy. Um, you know, you've got to make sure you're doing things with it that aren't that aren't making your life more miserable. So, uh, I just got back from Texas. I spoke at a conference. Uh, for the third year, they were very kind. They've hired me be- to come three years in a row as their keynote speaker. And this is a conference of folks who do business valuations, and they also work a number of uh, architectural M&A firms, uh, M&A stuff uh, for architectural and engineering firms. Architectural and engineering firms are interesting in that they see the leading edge of the construction business. They know what's going on in the real economy. And what these uh, lots and lots of businesses, hundreds hundreds of people, were telling me consistently was all of the businesses they're talking to are all worried. They're all expecting a downturn. They're all very cautious. And every one of them has a backlog. None of them. If you want to hire an architect right now, now think about that. If you want to hire an architect right now and every architect you call says, I can't do it for at least three months, I mean, that gives you a sense of what's going on in the economy, Right. I mean, if you call an engineering firm and you say, I need you to come look at a project or I need you to look at the plans and make sure that this building won't fall over, or my house won't fall over, and they say, eh, it's going to be 90 days before I can talk with you, that should be a pretty good indicator that that market's doing pretty well. So that's what I, that's what I heard, and I said, so, and, and this is something I do when I go to speak. I ask everybody to give me their opinion on the economy. Do you think the economy over the next 12, 24 months is going to grow, is going to be the same, uh, or is uh, going into recession. And uh, about, uh, well, none thought it was going into recession over the next two years. About half said that they thought it would be about the same. So no growth. I mean, that would really be stagflation. I'm not sure if they were answering what they thought they were answering. And, uh, and about uh, half of them thought that things were improving. Overall, that's fairly bullish. Uh, so, you know, when you when economists and when the Federal Reserve look at try and make judgments about the economy, they look at things they look at things two ways. They'll look at inflation, and they'll look at the real rate of inflation as measured by a, a collection of data. When they look at CPI, they'll look at a whole set of data, uh, even prices, even items out in the marketplace, 
and say, what did it cost last month? What does our pricing survey show that it cost this month? What did it cost last year? And how much is that? How much higher is that month over month? And that's how they come up with that rate. So they look at that empirical measure of inflation, and then they look up and say, how do we, uh, how do people feel about inflation? Do they think it's going up? Are the expectations for inflation higher? And if the expectations for inflation are higher, typically that will drive inflation. Inflation goes higher. A a little bit higher. So basically right now everybody is feeling very cautious. Everybody's telling me that, that they're waiting for another shoe to drop, and yet share prices go higher. Markets are doing fine. The economy is doing fine. The, the message from my speech as I come to the end of the first segment here on the forecast uh, this evening is the economy is doing fine-ish. It's just fine. It's not awful. It's not great. Uh, it's, not, it's not certainly on fire. It is dealing with headwinds from trade and immigration and all sorts of other economic forces right now, H- higher rates, uh, interest rates up a little bit. But in general, the economy's plugging along. We are creating a lot of debt. We do have some things that concern us. But the runway and the visibility remains good probably for the next couple of years. Don't get carried away. Don't venture out into the thin branches of risk because it's going to be a long and painful fall. This is a time when I tell clients it's our job to make sure that you have a seat when the music stops. We're going to dance very close to the chair here. We're dancing, but we're staying close to our chairs. Not a lot of risk in an environment like this until we see what this economy is going to do organically on its own as we try to figure out uh, and navigate this rather difficult path away from lots of monetary policy support And then fiscal policy support with big corporate tax cuts, big spending bills. Maybe there's going to be another big spending bill with this infrastructure spending bill. It seems that uh, Speaker Pelosi wants it. It seems that uh, uh, Chuck Schumer wants it. It seems that the president wants it. They just can't quite figure out the details. But there's another meeting at the White House tomorrow. Speaker Pelosi, uh, uh, Senator Schumer, and uh, President Trump. This one, I'm betting, will not be televised. Uh, I'm betting it won't be televised. That was better than, uh, you, you know, the uh, Housewives of Hoosets County last time. That, that, I mean, oh, my God, they walked out. It was just awful. Uh, so economy's doing fine. Uh, we're seeing a lot of indicator, leading indicators where we're on the ground, and I'm down in Dallas, Texas, and I'm meeting with the architects and the engineerings and the bankers and the private uh, investment folks who deal with those folks all with a fairly positive story, everybody feeling a little nervous. You know, uh, markets typically don't crash when people are nervous. Markets crash when people are ebullient. There's a lot of nerves out there right now. So uh, have some hope, have some faith, think about the long term, and listen to the forecast. We're going to be back with Dan Mahaffey in just 30 seconds. Stay with us. You're listening to Forecast. Thank you for listening to The Farcast. We'd like to introduce a new daily show for you, The Farcast's three-minute morning brief. Every morning before the sun rises, we bring you markets, commodities, and futures. Just the facts to start your day. The Farcast's three-minute morning brief. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or your favorite platform. And now, back to Michael and The Farcast. Now more with Michael Farr and The Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Uh, terrific uh, Farcast this evening. We're uh, covering Wall Street, Washington, and the world. And now it's the time for Washington. And if it's time for Washington, 
It's time for Dan Mahaffey. Uh, Dan joins us from the Center from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. He manages their policy programs. You might remember that he has a master's degree in security studies with a concentration in U.S. defense policy. Georgetown University, uh, B.A. in government, minors in history, and Mandarin Chinese, also from Georgetown, studied at East China Normal University, uh, where he conducted advanced language studies and research on U.S.-China-Taiwan trilateral relations. He's written, he's a smart guy, you've heard him on the forecast. Welcome back, Dan. Thanks, good to be back. Are you still smart this week? I think I am. Uh, that's no. good. That's one. I'll take that. I, I was told... I was just at the spending the weekend in uh, South Bend watching a, a cousin ah. graduate from Notre Dame, and they're among the newly smart as well. And uh, <laughs> it was amazing to see the uh, the hope and optimism they have. You know, we have a new we have a new graduate uh, who's recently started at Farm Miller in Washington, and 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 the old saying is true: if you ever need to know something, ask a rookie, because they know everything. <laughs> um, uh, this is a charming young man, but he knows m- answers to most everything. Well, and you know, in, in, to, at a certain point, they've just read the book on, you know, they've just read the exam materials. Yes, they, have the, they have the finals material down pat. So whatever that technical question is, they actually have an answer. When I started in this business, Dan, they, we had to learn how to calculate margin interest. Now, this was back when God was in short pants. Uh, but we would, that was part of the exam that we had to take to become stockbrokers. And uh, here I was trying to work this stuff out, and I asked an old broker a question. was walking by, and I said, Can you sh- I have a question about this. And he goes, yeah. Want to know the answer? Call the margin clerk. That's how you figure out margin <laughs> interest. Call the margin clerk. At, 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 at Wall Street Firms, we didn't have computers. Yeah, there were didn't. not desktops at that time, if you can imagine such an archaic period in time. Uh, uh, yes, there were dinosaurs on the streets, but you would just pick up the phone and call the margin clerk and say, that, and that was a job. Some huh? poor bastard had to sit in, <laughs> I'm sure, windowless office somewhere and calculate margin interest uh, as a percentage of I mean, what a horrible job, but th- there's a formula. Um, so uh, as we're uh, all getting maybe less smart as we age, uh, lots going on in Washington this week. Uh, the president had a judge rule against him that he has to disclose his financial so uh, information. Yeah. So will that now be sent to Congress? Well, no, because they're the well, White uh, House. The judge is, said he had to do it. Though. But that's the a judge... circuit judge. So then there's an appellate court. And yeah. then whatever answer you get from the appellate court, there'll be an appeal and it'll go to the Supreme Court. Does this get, do you think this gets all the way to the Supreme Court? I think Court, it does. Whether we get to see the president's financial records? I think it does. Wow. Um, unless the Supreme Court decides they really want to avoid the the precedent issues and lean on stare decisis, you know, let it be, and and deny any appeal. But the the jurisprudence on this is pretty clear that Congress has the authority to look at these these records and details. Now, the the administration is going to try and run this out as long as possible. And I think when we get into this back and forth in the courts— the public's tuning it out. They don't really care about this beyond the beltway. Uh, but still, there's probably going to be some detail in those financials that really then is the, the bombshell type thing that we, we've we wanted to know about the, the president's finances. Well, we've established uh, earlier in the show tonight that you're smart. So tell us, does it, it – the, 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 is, there, is there a law is, – is it – is there a legal basis for saying that the public, or at least the Congress, has the right to subpoena mm-hmm. all of your financial information? Is that of any citizen, or is it just of an elect? I mean, constitutionally, I'm a little bit concerned. Can the Congress of the United States 
you know, just decide that they want to look at all of my financial information? So the law is uh, in place that the Ways and Means Committee, which has uh, jurisdiction over taxation, has the authority to pull the tax return, shall provide, the IRS shall provide the tax return uh, of an individual if the Ways and Means Committee wants to look into it for purposes of investigation of finances or uh, tax avoidance. They can look at my taxes whenever they want, and then the IRS can audit me whenever they want, uh, certainly. So the U.S. government already has access to that, and Ways and Means can, can, can already get it. Okay, And it's one, so, it's one check if, if we continue to want to have a, a tax system that is voluntary, where you voluntarily report, right. uh, rather than having everything uh, you know, automatically withheld across the economy, that's, that's part of the system. Okay. So this is just going to be drawn out, and these people are going to spat and fight and see what happens if it gets to the Supreme Court. I, I've seen a lot of articles, Dan, that have sort of said this would not be good for the president should his financial records actually get shown. If his tax returns uh, became a public record at mm-hmm. this point, they would really hinder his chances for reelection. Why? What? I mean, some of the things I've, I've read are uh, everything from... Uh, fraud to tax write-offs, that he had huge losses, but underlying it all, he doesn't have anywhere near the money he continues to claim to have. Yeah, I think that's, you know, part of it would be that he's not quite the winner that he he claims to be, that he was not the shrewd businessman. Um, There's still a lot of people in the Republican base who see him as a very successful entrepreneur, real estate investor type of figure, that he's a, a great businessman. And uh, that that would uh, prick that bubble uh, yes. around his uh, his aura, if you will. Uh, well, uh, I guess uh, we we may see. You know, as I'm as I'm around the country, uh, one of the things that I've that I've been hearing from folks is, uh, look, I don't like. Uh, well, I hear some people say, I love everything about this president. I love everything mm-hmm. about him. I love the way he talks. I love the way he's honest. I love the way he confronts people and does deals. And I just love this guy. He's awesome. And it's about time we had somebody like this. Then I hear the people who say, who, I don't like anything he says. I don't like the way he goes about anything. Uh, I, I, I really uh, object to his public persona and the way he deals with the world. But I do like some of the things he's done. I do like the tax cut. I do like some of the actions he's taken, and I'll probably vote for him again. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, that's a, that's a much bigger swath than the I love him all the time. Mm-hmm. And then there are the I hate him all the time, and I'll yeah. never vote for him, and I don't care if he cures cancer. I'm never going to vote for that guy. Well, I think there's the some who, you know, that middle area where it's the people who are saying, look, the the economy's doing well. I can say that my, uh, you know, perhaps their wages have gone up, that, or that uh, you know, a family member who didn't have a job now has one. Uh, those are those little economic factors that that help. Uh, I think also a lot of the long-term frustrations with China uh, and their obstinance and their behavior in in trade yes. is, is yes. popular uh, on both sides of the aisle. I think it's also, though, that fundamental, uh, you know, question, and I think interestingly raised by uh, Mayor Pete, who we've talked about, yes, uh, that we kind of want to return to normalcy. Okay, that we want, uh, you know, we want some of these uh, policies, uh, perhaps, to continue. That we like the the economic growth. We like those those areas, but. Can we do it without the Twitter tirades or the unpredictability? Well, if you're a Wall Street or if you're an investor, and on the forecast, that's what we're always thinking about our investors and thinking about uh, what what uh, effect this is going to have on markets going forward and valuations. Um, the markets have done very well under President Trump. 
mm-hmm. uh, from the moment, I mean, within hours of his election, uh, before he even took office, markets started to rally based on uh, this proposed corporate tax cut, uh, a more business-friendly uh, president, and also his commitment to reducing regulations as many as he mm-hmm. can left and right. Those are all business-friendly things, and indeed the con- country has prospered. Indeed, and we've seen the, the, the tax uh, cuts, I think, have, have certainly helped. We've had uh, the, the Fed continues to be uh, relatively accommodating. It hasn't pulled back too sharply. Uh, I also think, though, that some of the de- deregulatory stuff, there's some limitations to it, though, because uh, when you have acting officials, you can't permanently uh, move the needle on some of those factors. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, where the economy goes, you, you described it earlier. It was It's the, the sentiments and moods, um, and the White House is one aspect of that, but does that darken as we get into more... Uh, trade spats, or do we start to see the uh, you know the tweets late at night about European and Japanese car companies who we should actually be you know they're making most of their cars in the U.S. now. Yeah. Uh, how, you know how do we uh, if he if he falls back on some of his more uh, unpredictable uh, right. moods? Well, we have to expect some of that, don't we? I mean, it, it's it's President Trump. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some unpredictable stuff going on there. You know, you said something interesting about Mayor Pete that part of his appeal was this sort of return to normal. Don't you think that's some of the appeal so far that we're seeing from Joe Biden? Correct. Uh, who is not going to the extreme? No. Is still rising in the polls. He's still rising in the polls. The the one bit of headwind is he's uh, he's tied with Bernie Sanders in Iowa. Um, but Iowa's a caucus state, so that's always going to be a, a bit stranger of a, how you predict that because it's all about who comes out. Um, you know, the, Biden's interesting. Uh, Mayor Pete's uh, interesting in that sense. They both have that sense of normalcy. I think also, you know, what helps Biden is if you actually broke down the polling, uh, you have your very liberal Democrats who would probably love an Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders but they're actually really interested in – they are the ones who most align with, I want a candidate who can defeat Donald Trump. Yes. On the the moderate ones – and this kind of reverses the conventional wisdom – moderate Democrats are more interested in, I want a guy whose politics match mine, and that helps Biden too. So Biden's getting uh, points both for electability from the left as well as moderates who say, look, I identify with him rather than the the more vociferous fringes of the party. Uh, Over the weekend, and I was sort of surprised about this last week, we we saw uh, all of our diplomats were sort of emergency withdrawn from Iraq. Mm -hmm. Uh, They got the get the hell out and get the hell out now memo. Um, And I guess if you're a a U.S. diplomat in in Iraq, you have your bag packed most Mm -hmm. of the time. Uh, So they said grab the bag and go. What did that mean, and and how did that get buried in the press so quickly? I mean, all of a sudden it was a little bit of news, and then the president was tweeting about, I'm not going to tariff some of the import cars now, and and markets just seemed to forget Mm -hmm. about it. I I thought it was strange. Well, I think what we're seeing is the, uh, at least from the financial side, if we're actually concerned about a conflict that would disrupt the Persian Gulf, the oil supply. I think we are, yeah. Yeah, that, that concern's been tempered by the show of force that the U.S. has put into the region uh, perhaps, as the defense secretary uh, designee said today, that we've deterred Iran from further action that would would destabilize. Um, I also think there's, though, as much as the confrontational language is there, uh, both sides don't want to miscalculate their way into a, a war that neither side could afford. 
The president, he actually tweeted that you should not, told Iran not to threaten the United States and it will be the end of Iran, uh, period. Officially be the end of Iran. Officially be the end of Iran, yes. period. Yeah. Now, that, uh, now, I might be a little bit tone deaf, but that did not strike me as uh, somewhat uh, uh, less, uh, I guess, volatile or less aggressive. I, I thought that was about as aggressive as the president of the United States gets, isn't it? Well, it is. And it's, I think he thinks that he can kind of uh, bluster his way to nego- the negotiating table like he did with the North Koreans. But we all saw how that's uh, worked out in the long run. Yeah, not, not so well. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. Thanks so much for being with us. Well, you're coming back next week, aren't yes. you? Thank goodness. We learn so much every time you're on. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back with my friend Jim Pethokoukas when we come back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the Farcast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? In addition to hosting the Farcast and serving as president of the advisory firm Farr, Miller, and Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael's insights. For more information, or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com, or call me at 202-530-5608. You're listening to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Terrific Farcast for you this evening. We've discussed markets and a lot of the leading indicators and what long-term investors should be thinking about. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, talking about what it means to try and sue the president and subpoena his financial records, and uh, Joe Biden and Mayor Pete and their sort of return towards a a more normal message and perhaps the traction that it's picking up and perhaps the traction that Joe Biden is actually getting that's going to make a a more difficult path for President Trump back to the White House and 270 Electoral College votes. Uh, All of these things, ladies and gentlemen, affect markets. Now, uh, I'm very privileged and pleased to introduce our next guest, uh, Jim Pethokoukas, uh, has been a longtime friend of mine on CNBC uh, as CNBC contributors there. He is the DeWitt Wallace Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, uh, which is a Washington think tank. And Jim is a thinker, ladies and gentlemen. Promise he writes and edits uh, the AIDEAS blog. Um, he was a columnist for Reuters uh, and, and has been quoted in every major publication and pretty much every TV channel you want to ever check. Uh, and by the way, here's the really cool part. Uh, the, the coolest part of this entire very impressive bio for Jim Pethokoukas, 2002 Jeopardy champion. How about that? Hey, welcome to the forecast, <laughs> Jim. Well, hey, thanks for having me on, though. I, in in uh, all, all fairness, uh, I had yet to uh, crack the puzzle uh, like this uh, current guy who's like you know making a hundred thousand an episode, who's really uh, figured things out. I only wish I had done that when I went on that show. My goal was just to answer questions uh, right, not uh, run the board and make many multiples. So uh, uh, I, I feel like a real popper compared to that guy. 
Well, Harry's going to get us the name of, of this guy because I can't remember. Do you, do you remember it, Dan? The, the name of the guy on Jeopardy right yeah, now? Yeah. I've been watching him win, and you think, you know, so he's doing this gaming thing. It has been fascinating to watch. You, you watch him start out with the most expensive uh, answers. Uh, he asks for those expensive answers and then works his way to the cheap answers. So he starts with the hard ones and then he starts searching the board for the daily double and betting. And so he's using all of his Vegas sort of uh, how do you play the odds knowledge. Th this is a guy who would be banned from ga Vegas for uh, card counting, I think. Uh, uh, James Holtzauer, I think, <laughs> is his name. Is that it? Holtzauer, James Holtzauer. And, and half the sports books in Vegas won't take his business. I would think not. I bet. I bet that. I bet that that's right. Well, would you? I mean, if you've watched him, I mean, but the guy is just amazingly freaking smart too. I mean, this this. Guy. Yeah, well, you still got to get the questions right. You know, I mean, after all that, you can have this great strategy. If you're not getting the questions right, uh, you're not going to win. Uh, I just, you know, my strategy was find categories where I knew stuff. Uh, not, uh, you know, not try to answer the big ones first. And that gives you all the financial fuel to win the daily doubles. Very, very, uh, some people have, uh, tried something like it before, uh, but not with his success. So, you know, you got to give a guy a hand. Oh, you got to give a guy a hand and it's terrific. Kind of, and he just kind of wipes the, the floor with everybody else who tries to go on against him. I mean, it's not even close. Um, uh, and yeah, I want to watch him. Uh, what, is he back on yet? Are they out? Are they off of Teachers Week or whatever the hell they were on? I, I got to go watch him again. Uh, so we're we're wasting my valuable Jim Pethkukas time. That's awful. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Uh, uh, Joe, uh, we have other questions. Or we have other answers. Maybe we have to have Jim come up with some questions for us tonight. Um, so uh, Jim, let, let's. Take a look at a little bit of what's going on in Washington. There's a meeting in Washington tomorrow with Speaker Pelosi, Senator Schumer, and the president uh, to discuss uh, this infrastructure spending bill. Now, so far, they agree on $2 trillion. Uh, what's going to happen at that meeting? And do you think, Jim, and this might be even more important, this is right back to the Jeopardy question, will the television cameras be allowed into the meeting the way they were last time? Uh, well, there may be no better theater in American politics uh, than, uh, than with uh, Schumer and Pelosi and, and, and President Trump uh, in, the, in the Oval Office uh, chatting like that. Uh, it's, been very, uh, it's been very newsy before. Um, I, and I think Trump kind of feeds on that as well. And uh, I think Pelosi and Schumer thinks like they've gotten the best of them in the past, so maybe we'll see it. Um, so, that yeah. may be, so we may get a little sizzle, may get some heat from there. Uh, whether this re results in any substance, I'm still su uh, super skeptical. I mean, from the very first days of the Trump administration, uh, people have been pointing to infrastructure as something that Democrats, Republicans uh, should be able to find some agreement on. Uh, everyone kind of agrees there's a problem um, in that, that you know America would grow faster if we had to update infrastructure, uh, but we haven't seen anything. There's been a difference of opinion on how, certainly on how to fund it. The Republicans came up with this public-private partnership. Uh, Democrats, you know, they, in the past they've talked about infrastructure banks. Uh, there's, there's been no agreement on on that. Um, so I, and I'm not. And the president now says I really didn't like the public-private partnership plan. So we're not sure what his plan is, and we're not sure what the Republicans, certainly in the Senate, uh, would go along with. They, they, I, I can tell you one thing: if this deal is well, let's just borrow the money. It's going to be. It's going to increase economic growth so much. We're just going right. to borrow the money, and we're going to fix the roads. Right. Uh, Republicans will not go for that. 
That's no? not going to happen. So, Jim, t- tell me why the Republicans wouldn't agree to just sort of let's let's uh, spend another two trillion dollars on infrastructure. If the Democrats agree, if it's going to be good for productivity, if it could really help the economy in a more organic way, as opposed to, you know, infusions by central banks or or uh, or tax cuts from the fiscal side of the House. Mm-hmm. Why, why wouldn't what, what what's the objection? Why wouldn't they go along with this? And what is it going to take for them to kind of come together on something to do with infrastructure? Well, of course, it's, of course it's easier to say, let's just, you know, let's just put it on the tab um, before you've also done all that other spending and deficit finance tax cuts and, and you know, the debt's going up. So this is the so one is the sequence. Now this is coming after all that stuff. Have they done this first? Maybe that's more likely. Uh, I think I think two um, tax cuts are just different with Republicans. Um, and this is this is a spending bill. It's an obvious spending bill. It's not buried anywhere. It's a it, it, it would be huge news if they passed it with a massive headline number. And I think the Republicans, there are Republicans who like least like to tell themselves that, yeah, we really care about balanced budgets. Um, and just from my conversations um, uh, with folks in the Senate, that also leads me to believe that you would have to come up with some way to pay for this uh, through budget cuts. Now, Democrats do voters care? It, do voters care? Taxes, I mean, voters are my big question, though. Do voters care? I mean, does do 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 Fred and Ethel out in Des Moines care? Uh, whether they can pay for it or not, or is everybody sort of just falling in line with uh, MMT, modern monetary theory, where nothing matters as long as interest rates are low? Uh, I'm not sure how much. It's clear I think some Republicans think voters do care about that. Yes. This, and if you have a, if a lot of deficits, it means you're just kind of not doing your job and you're not being serious and they have to pay their bills. Why can't you? I think that, you know, that given the fact we've had these big deficits and interest rates are low and we don't see the dollar collapsing and we yeah, don't see yeah. inflation skyrocketing, uh, I wonder how much people care. And I ultimately, ultimately until markets care, uh, I don't know in the end how much people are going to care and, and maybe politicians as well. Is there a path for this instru- infrastructure bill from your from your vantage point in Washington? I think I think if this was, you know, you know, a year ago, eighteen right. months ago, maybe. I think now that we're getting closer to the election, uh, this a lot of Democrats are going to be running on in that this is like their big pro growth idea. They sort of don't want to give it away and have that taken off the table. So I, you know, I think it's certainly more likely than not. Uh, that we don't we don't see a bill unless the president just kind of gets it in his head that he really wants to do it and he says fine we'll uh, we'll raise taxes on somebody uh, that seems unlikely <laughs> that Republicans would go for any tax increases but they also uh, you know don't want to disappoint the person that they think is going to be responsible for them getting reelected which is President Donald Trump. I love that. I love that they went to the default gasoline tax. I mean, it's always the tax we go to when we really don't want to let anybody know that we're raising their taxes. I mean, it's, it's we can right, shove it right, in there. Right. And, it's all the usual suspects. Yeah, the usual suspects. So uh, th- this is going to be a more a more difficult path. So, Jim, as you sort of uh, sit uh, uh, and, and look at that confluence, that meeting of Washington and Wall Street. What are you seeing is on Wall Street's mind as we come through the end of the year? I said, I, as I launched the show tonight, I was in Dallas, Texas, giving a speech yesterday to a group of 
uh, it's financial people who deal uh, in M&A mostly with architecture and engineering firms, and they were saying that all those architecture and engineering firms are, are, have backlogs of orders. Architects are busy right now. Engineers are busy right now. It's kind of a leading indicator in that construction market. Uh, what what is wall and but everybody's basically said we're all nervous but we're all okay for now which is sort of what i'm hearing as i travel and go around and talk to investors what's wall street thinking about for the balance of the year what should they be focused on and do you think the economy is okay for the next 12 months well i think i mean i think that one thing they're they're thinking about is what's happened with trade uh what's happened with china uh i think we have a we have a situation where you have the two biggest economies, the two most important economies, uh, perhaps in an escalating trade war, uh, the likes of which you know, we really haven't seen for quite some time. No, yeah. uh, I think it's very difficult to just trot out your models and say, well, gee, if this happens and these tariffs are raised, uh, you know, this will take off 0.2% of GDP. I think the uncertainty of what this actually means, how far both sides will go, what that means longer term uh, for growth, and don't forget, you know, we you know we had a financial crisis a decade ago, yes, uh, where we didn't fully understand all the linkages, all the linkages between countries and financial institutions, right. where you had people say, well, it's, you know, this subprime problem is easily handled. I just think there's less confidence that they fully understand the ramifications of something this significant happening happening in the global economy. So yeah, I think that's. I think that's issue number one. These folks at the conference, and I, I take a poll whenever I go out and speak these days, and I always ask about the chance for a recession. No one in the room, not a single hand went up this time when I asked a uh, chance of recession over the next 24 months. Not one. Now, that's, you know, th- this is not, I'm not talking to people, Wall Street people. I'm not talking to uh, uh, economists. Um, and, and so, therefore, I mean, normally, and, and all through the spring as I've been out talking with groups, at least a third have thought we'd go into recession this year or next year. Not one in this group. Do you think they're right? Well, uh, I, I think certainly having you know, good business confidence and good consumer confidence uh, is important uh, until that changes. And I'm not sure if a trade war would change that. It would change that. Um, uh, you know, there's always, you know, there's always statistically what about a, a 20% of a recession uh, in, in any given year. So I think that's probably not a bad uh, baseline to point to. Um, you know, I, certainly most Wall Street economists think you know we'll we'll see we'll see a slowing economy. But boy, but boy you know, I I don't know, I don't know. You know, I I keep waiting for all this technology to really start, you right. know, spreading throughout the economy and getting and you know productivity going up and economic growth accelerating. So I, listen, I think there's a you know if there's always a uh, I don't know a twenty percent chance of recession, I think there's even, there might be a twenty percent chance that something fundamentally has changed for the better in the American economy, uh, like it did uh, in the nineteen nineties, and maybe not only does this expansion continue, but it continues at a at a faster pace than what many are expecting. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I've got one more question for Jim Pethokoukas, but I've got to tell you, this is one of the smartest guys in Washington. If you want to learn and really figure out what's going on in Washington uh, inside the Beltway and also how it's going to affect Wall Street and what it's, how that's going to affect the economy and how voters and everything else, this guy puts the pieces of the puzzle 
together better than almost anybody else I've ever listened to. So if you see him on CNBC or you see him on the Nightly Business Report, turn up the volume, folks. Listen to Jim Pethokoukas. Jim, before we get out of here, and I'm serious about that. I mean, I'm a a big fan of yours. Uh, I think you're one of the brightest, clearest thinking folks I get to listen to and that I've known over the years. It's always been a privilege to be on with you. Um, as, As we're looking at the rest of the year, tell me what you think. I'm saying with when I see markets crash and us get into really trouble, I see hubris. I see arrogance during those periods. I don't see that right now. And the bit of worry that we have along. So I like the worry that we have. I also like the wage gains that we're seeing, because one thing that's been absent in this recovery has been real participation by the middle class. I mean, they've, they've participated as much as they possibly could, but they haven't seen any significant wage gains. If they can see wage gains, if that broad swath of the population sees wage gains, maybe we can get back to real organic growth that will demand higher productivity growth. So I'm feeling cautiously bullish. Do you think I'm wrong, Jim? And what do you think? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you. Uh, you know, I mentioned the financial crisis before. I think that squeezed a lot of arrogance uh, out of people, and I'm not sure people are going to be cocky and arrogant for a while. So, if that's if that's something you need uh, for a for a big market downturn, then, then we'll probably say, listen. I think I, listen. I, it's an unreported story. Wages are growing. Wages are growing at the bottom. Uh, you wouldn't know it if I think picking up uh, the head- headlines or listening to some politicians, but they're growing. That's good news. And boy, if we can get a little tailwind from from productivity and artificial intelligence and robots and drones, uh, this thing could have room to run. Listen to Jim Pethokoukas, folks. He's uh, he's uh, sounding a little cautiously bullish. You know something? I've got to say this before we go. Bias, I, I, I would say my bias is always toward optimism. <laughs> so, you might, so you know, if you want to, you know, discount it a little bit, go ahead. I think I think that that's uh, I think that that's healthy. You know, I just read uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Uh, uh, founder of Nike. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, one of the best books I've I've read in a long time. Uh, it just it was a page turner of a business book. Uh, but he said that he had a fundamental ineptitude for pessimism in the beginning of the book, which I, I loved. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure I could be very good at being a pessimist. What I'd really like to see most optimistically would be Jimmy Pethokoukas going up against James Holzhauer. Uh, on Jeopardy again. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, Jim, I don't think this Holtzauer guy stands a chance against you. Uh, I, 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 I think I'd be crying uncle before we got to the first uh, <laughs> Daily Double. I, I would be so panicked. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, finding out that tomorrow you were going to be on Jeopardy uh, and had to go stand at one of those podiums with the button in your hand? Uh, uh, just another reason to uh, have nothing but great respect for my friend Jim Pethokoukas. Ladies and gentlemen, Thanks. thank you, Jim, for being a great guest, as I knew you would be. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for us on the Farcast again this week. We will be back again next week. Please know that I'm grateful to each and every one of you for having us into your homes and into your earbuds and cars. Thank you very much for your questions. It is a great honor. It is a great pleasure. And I am entirely grateful to all of you in Washington, D.C. for the Farcast. I'm Michael Farr. Thank you for listening to the Farcast. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. Please share with a friend. 
The Farcast comes to you each week on all major podcast platforms. The Farcast is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings, and our production engineer is Claude Jennings. Our home studio is Chatter Studio in Friendship Heights, Washington, D.C. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at Farcast at farmiller.com. Let us know what you liked, what you take issue with, and what topics you'd like to hear in coming weeks. We would like to remind you that if you think you have heard a recommendation to buy or sell any security here on the Farcast, you haven't. The Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. Before you make any investment decision, we strongly recommend you consult with a financial professional to determine what may be best for your individual needs and goals. If we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to us at invest at farmmiller.com. Our team of professionals does more than just pick stocks and trade bonds. We work with our clients to reach their goals. Go beyond the headlines every week with the Farcast. Wall Street. Washington, and the world.